Welcome to Birth Stories in Color, a podcast creating community for people of color to share and learn from birth stories of all types. We're your hosts, Laurel Gurrier and Danielle Jackson. Today's episode features Hiwate Bakala sharing how being born and raised in Ethiopia shaped her views on birth as a whole and reflecting on managing a very stressful immigration process and that uncertainty which flowed into her birth induction at 42 weeks. We are thankful to hear her truth today. Hello, Hiwate. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me and letting me, you know, share my story because I think um, I just I'm just so grateful to be here to be able to tell the world that, you know, uh, my story because I just haven't had the space to share it. So, yeah, thank you. Well, can you first start off by telling us a little bit about yourself and your family? Yeah. So like you mentioned, I was born and raised in Ethiopia. So I came here when I was 17 to go to college and went to college somewhere in central Minnesota um, and then um, went on to grad school to do um, public health and environmental health. I've always been super fascinated about birth because my research was actually on um, how to mitigate postpartum depression with, um, we have a coffee ceremony in Ethiopia, a traditional coffee ceremony where um, you know, we roast coffee and like everything is from scratch and burn different things. And just it's like a place where people get together. And I wanted to see if that could be used, um, you know, to help women postpartum, um, you know, just kind of deal with that, you know, especially because um, in some traditions like therapy is so taboo, it's just not culturally appropriate and stuff like that yeah but that's kind of when I met my now husband who's from Kenya for those that may not know Kenya and Ethiopia are actually neighboring countries so it's kind of wild that we came all the way here um to meet and then um and then now we have a daughter who's two and then another one on the way um and we live in Utah right now so yeah, that's kind of a little bit about myself and my family. And I guess an, an additional thing is I'm, I'm an environmental health um, educator. And um, so I just educate my you know community about different environmental toxins that we come across on the day to day and how we can avoid that and, you know, improve our health and things like that. Yeah. Yes. Come on. Um, I love... Um when you were talking about, you know, the tradition in your country um, with the coffee and really um, being able to use that as a tool, like you said, for individuals who may not be in a space where therapy makes sense, but trying to find other ways um, to support themselves and, you know, the community and traditional practices. Um, I mean, you know, we can talk about this forever. I might offline, we might need to talk about, you know, your research because that's... <laughs> Absolutely wonderful. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, well, actually, no. Just if we want to spend a little bit of a time on it, yeah, I'm just thinking absolutely. about um, what what came of that. What what did you find in your research? You know, honestly, I guess I have to preface with saying that since it was like a master's program, I didn't get to dive deep. And one thing I've recognized very much early on is like the lack of research, especially when it comes to like um treating mental health with immigrant communities because like obviously I'm black and you know we know we're black but like my experiences are very different than my you know African-American like um counterparts so it's kind of like it was very difficult first of all to convince my committee to let me 
move on with that research because they're very dismissive like well you know this is kind of the same this is it but they're just like you know the history the culture and like how people um and the process of immigration for a lot of people there's just different risk factors there you know both for african-americans and um immigrants but you know um how they group us and like this oh it's black so every black person must have the same um experience so that was one of the first things so it was very difficult to find data to like quantify even like that the experience of african immigrants is different than african-americans but then um but also to convince them that the need for this is greater. <laughs> My committee was took a very long time to finish the research. So I ended up doing just a literature um, review with whatever data that I could find. And there is a dire need. There's places where they've done like different case studies or um, they've done kind of small group, um, you know, what is it? What is it called? Qualitative studies where they kind of did that. And for people who are not really in postpartum, but for people who, you know, like flew their countries from like very traumatic um, experiences and like war and conflict, it was working really well. Like, and for mostly at least one place that it was tried, it was working really well. So for me, I wanted to move, I wanted to do like a more, at least a small kind of pilot study, but with the time and the challenges that, um, I faced it just wasn't feasible. I was going to continue um, to do a PhD on it, actually, and I got an offer, but I had my child and we moved to Utah uh, with my husband for work. So it just, uh, yeah, that, that, that wasn't going to happen. But, you know, um, definitely that's something I want to try, um, at least, you know, either do academic research on or at least, um, you know, try it out for people because, it's definitely therapeutic for me personally. Like, I just love that ceremony. Just, you know, you know how smells kind of bring like really good memories and stuff and that and just also like bringing the community together. It does bring comfort. And at least in the U.S., the biggest issue for, you know, postpartum depression, anxiety and stuff is at least one of the biggest is lack of community and lack of support. So I think um, that's kind of what I found. And we just kind of ended the research saying there needs to be more research done but also like um you know hopefully in the future you know for either the american what is it psychological association to really categorize or even any health researchers to categorize not categorize black people as this like monolith like oh but we all have the same experience but especially when it comes to like people who came you know, who immigrated to the U.S., their experience is very different than, you know, people who've been here for a very long time. So that's kind of just how, you know, it concluded. And hopefully in the future, um, you know, I, I can get back to it and do something or someone else can take over and, you know, uh, bring it to light. So, yeah, that's kind of what I hope. We are not a monolithic community at all. Yep. <laughs> And those layers, those experience bring so much and show up so much in our births and our postpartum experiences. Um, and to anyone who's out in Utah that would want to support this project, here's your opportunity. You can DM us, email us, and we will get you to Hawati. So. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> All right. So jumping back into your story, can you tell us about your pregnancy? 
Yes. Um, so I guess kind of even before my pregnancy, like I wasn't planning to be pregnant at the time. Um, because culturally, like in my culture, you kind of, my husband had to like ask my hand, you know, um, in marriage and he had to send his family to ask my family and that had happened and that's kind of considered like an official engagement. So that had happened and we were legally married here. Um, but like in the eyes of family, we were engaged. Um, and you know, we were living together. We had started our lives, but for them, that wasn't so pregnancy was not like something that was, you know, in our plans. But I just kind of, I guess, um, my visa ended for my, so we were both international students and my visa for my work had ended um, and they could have extended it, but they refused. That's another story we won't get into. So I had to make a choice. It's either to stay with my husband here and really give up my career or to move home and focus on my career, but potentially, you know, risk of us not being together, but Obviously, like, that's what I chose. But the legal status that I was on then was very currently still very restrictive. I cannot make any money in the U.S. I cannot work. I cannot do anything. Um, So, yeah, like, um, not even, like, do an internship that can potentially land me into a job. So my husband is on a work visa. And the spouse is, like, a dependent. So you can't really do anything. But you can stay with your husband. Um, And I'll get into that and how that kind of affected my pregnancy and, you know, the stress that came with it. Um, But then, so like I had stopped working, but, you know, and so I was trying to like plan my day so I would exercise and, you know, eat healthy and whatever, not for anything, just to kind of keep my sanity. And then just, you know, like out of the blue, um, I was pregnant. And I like was so sure that I wasn't pregnant because... I was like, I was having cramps, um, you know, and like, I was like, oh, my period is late and it's definitely coming. And like, it wasn't coming. I was like, what the heck? So I was like, okay, let's take a pregnancy test. And I was shook when it was positive because, you know, it was just like, I've always wanted to be a mom and that's always been a dream, but it just felt like, oh my gosh, like I, we, we didn't plan for this. Like it was, you know, we weren't ready, but um obviously we were both happy because we've always wanted kids um and kind of embraced it and you know started I guess moved on with the pregnancy so my pregnancy was in the you know I guess my physical health was was very good I didn't have any issues obviously in the beginning because I had a lot of cramping they said they wanted to check with an ultrasound to make sure it's not an ectopic pregnancy um it was very classic you know like not morning, but all day sickness, uh, fatigue and all that. And obviously being home and not working like really helped um, me rest. And at the time, my sister was with me. So she kind of, you know, helped me here and there start uh, to, you know, with cooking and my food aversions and stuff. And one of the weirdest things, I guess, that kind of relates back to what I talked about was I love coffee. And one of my biggest divergence was coffee. The smell of coffee was driving me nuts. Like I hated it. And I remember my sister would be drinking a lot because she was in school and I was like, oh, please, I had to like be in a whole different room um, because I hated it. So and then I guess towards the my third trimester, I had what is it um, called thrombocytopenia, which is where you have low platelets. 
Um, but other than that, like, I mean, I had a very healthy pregnancy. But then the first day, the first time we were about to see our child on an ultrasound, we got some very unfortunate news from my husband's because um, my husband had applied for like a different job and stuff like that and he was going to transfer and in the middle they found out that his old employer was supposed to do something that they were to keep up his paperwork like intact and they didn't do that so we were in a very compromising situation so we had to be talking to a lot of so the, the other um like job was like yeah we can't take you because it's going to take a long time for you to fix so like he couldn't have that job and he had already given his two-week notice to his other work um and we had to be talking to a lot of lawyers a lot of things and it was very 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 stressful so this entire the entire pregnancy was really trying to fix that and make sure um I guess we're stable um while bringing a baby and then but we still weren't sure like if we could stay in the U.S. or if we had to leave so we decided to give up our apartment and we had to move with my um, husband's um, brother and um, sister-in-law. And I mean, they were the most amazing hosts, but I think being pregnant and being in someone else's space was one of the hardest experiences that I had to go through because um, it just, it was, it was not my space and it was very, 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 very difficult. And also just the uncertainty of like you know everything going on because I was like oh my gosh are we gonna have to leave and if we have to leave like I have to find a different care provider and you know all that stuff um so it was it was very stressful but in a way like my way of trying to deal with that stress was really um doing a lot of research on pregnancy and you know health like how the healthcare and I and I was aware of some of the issues of how you know black women are mistreated and all of that stuff um, so I was doing a lot of research on all these things and reading um, books. So I read Ina May's Guide to Childbirth. And I think you guys have had her on this podcast, um, her holistic path, Olivia Bowens. Yeah, so she was actually launching kind of her childbirth course at the time. And she needed someone, like a couple of people to like take it to kind of review it. So I was one of the first people who did that. I was like, oh, that's such a good opportunity because, you know, like at an affordable price for me. So I did a lot of that. And initially we had started seeing, um, uh, you know, obese because in Minnesota, there's a huge, you know, Somali and Ethiopian and, you know, a a large African and even African-American population. So it was not hard to find like, you know, providers of color, but they were all obese. And I was a new driver at that time. And my appointment was like 40 minutes drive. So from my in-laws place to there. So I couldn't like really branch out and like find a lot of other um, providers. But it's like, oh, you know, I'll go with like Somali obese because culturally, you know, we're very similar. Like they're from East Africa. They'll understand. And I was... Yeah, I was like, I don't think the OB is for me because like within the first day, the first OB that we saw was like talking to me about a miscarriage. I'm like, why are you talking to me about a miscarriage, you know? Um, And then I saw another different OB, like she was very cold. Um, She was also Somali, but she just had a very cold demeanor. Like the way they talked about, they talked to you, there was just no connection. So um with all the stress going out at, at 11 weeks, I had some bleeding 
that I guess now I remember when I was kind of going through the story, it was kind of a scare. I guess it was a late kind of implantation um, bleeding, but I had no idea. Like no one has ever told me that, you know, like that's normal or that can happen. So that was super scary, especially because I was so stressed out. I felt like I did something to my child. And I remember like crying and freaking out. And then my husband was like, why are you thinking like that? Let's just wait it out. Um, and I got um, to see this um midwife the next day um she was white but she was very nice she treated me well so I was like okay this is the kind of care that I want so this is still within like a hospital system but a hospital midwife and so that's kind of what I continued with um until I guess like it was and everything was going great besides you know the stressful um stuff in our lives going on um until obviously like I was approaching my due date then things um were changing but I think what really helped me was like I would talk to my daughter she was legit my best friend um I didn't know if she was a boy or a girl at the time but when I was stressed out like I would really really talk to her but I was also scared because I was like oh my gosh I cried a lot I stressed out a lot is she gonna come out fine because this girl like you know she's going through it uh but you know I mean everything turned out fine at the end but that's kind of how um, my pregnancy was at least physically was kind of, I mean, very healthy, not challenging at all. Um, you know, I still continued to eat as healthy as I can, um, exercised all the way until my third trimester after that. I was like, yeah, I'm too tired. But um, that's kind of how it was. So at, so my, my due date was actually New Year's in 2019. So like New Year's Day was the due date that was given to me. Initially was like January 7th. January 7th is Christmas in my country. So and in my faith. So I was like, you know, both dates. Obviously, I know babies don't come on due dates, but I was like, both dates kind of seem, you know, like special dates. So I was like, okay. And um, but then they had moved it to January 1st. And I think it was a at the 20 week um, ultrasound saying the baby was measuring ahead or something like that. So at that time, I didn't think much of it, I guess. But so when we got to that, um, I think a week before that, like before Christmas, when I had my checkup, the midwife was kind of like, you know, I think your, your baby's gonna come early. And I was like, really? she's like, yeah, your baby's going to come early. And I was like, okay, like, I mean, that would be nice. Um, And for me, my mom was traveling here to come and help me. So I I made sure that she came like 10 days before my due date because I didn't want her to come too early just in case I went over. But I definitely did not assume that I would go all the way to 42 weeks. Um, And so let me see if, I, if there was any. Yeah, so at that end, she was very nice about it. And obviously that passed, New Year's passed and baby's still not here. So on my 40 weeks um, appointment, she was a completely different provider that I felt like, oh my gosh, like, this is the person that we were seeing this whole time. Because from the get go, she was like, you need to get it. Oh, I guess one other thing that I forgot. So I hired a doula because, um, you know, I had actually heard of doulas before. And um, even in some of my research, I'd seen their benefits, but it was when I was doing my research was when I really realized I need a doula because I was like, oh, I have family who's going to come support me. Like my mom will be here already culturally, my, you know, my community is supportive. So I was like, 
I'm, I didn't feel like I was, I guess, a good candidate for someone to hire a doula. Then the more I learned about, you know, the racism and like really how the, you know, U.S. like maternal health care system works for black women. I was like, OK, I need a doula. And um, she was like, I could tell that sometimes. And my doula was actually going um, to school to be a midwife and now she's a midwife um, so she was like very very informed so I would check in with her and I knew my midwife definitely did not like that like I could tell kind of from her tone here and there but she never really said oh you know doulas are great blah 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 and then at that time um, like right when we went into that appointment she, you know she did the non-stress test and then she was just like you need to get a c-section like you're gonna have to get a c-section if you don't get induced and then she like was throwing terms like if you don't um if you what is it? if your baby doesn't tolerate labor and I was like okay what does that even mean and I remember going back to my doula and I was like what does she mean by if my baby doesn't tolerate labor like this is what the body is made to do and the baby's supposed to go through labor and make it like unless there's something wrong baby was doing really well there was there were no issues whatsoever I was doing really fine I mean I didn't feel like you know I I wasn't too tired even like my mom was telling me like but my mom after she came she kind of saw me and she's like hey like are you sure you know, like whatever due date they're giving you, like, you know, is it correct? Because at least at my mom, like when my mom was giving birth back home, like they didn't really do due date. They would do like, oh, I'm due this month. And like, they never, you know, just like calculated due date. So she was kind of like, you look a little bit smaller to me. Um, So she's like, are you sure? And I was like, well, you know, that's what they said. So, and then she was just like, yeah. So I, I told her, I remember being very, very stressed out because, you know, when she was throwing, like, you need to get a C-section and stuff. And for me, um, in my family, at least my mom has had all natural births because wasn't even like that was the only option unless, you know, you needed surgery. Um, and I had an experience where um, my uncle's wife, I was present when she was in labor and she got an epidural and she had a very, very bad experience. I mean, she was like, she got an epidural, I think, very early. And definitely, obviously, a lot of people don't prepare for birth. Um, so, but anyways, I remember them rushing her to the emergency room because the baby couldn't come out, whatever. And I was like, I don't want that kind of an experience. And seeing like her recovery, how painful it was, I knew I didn't want a, a C-section unless it was necessary, like life-saving, you know? So we were very disturbed, but we were kind of like, um, you know, I just told her, hey, you know, my baby's doing fine. Um, and I told her, I don't see myself being induced unless there's a need for it. Like, so I'm gonna wait it out. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm gonna go. Um, and I remember being very stressed because I don't know if it was like the way my placenta was, um, I guess, positioned. I like, I could feel the baby, but she was quiet, a quiet baby, I would have to say, like, she would disappear. And I would be very stressed out because, you know, they'd kind of like, put that in my mind but um my doula lent me like she was like yeah I can't do this for you but she said I have an extra doppler if you want to use it and you know um you know feel safe she kind of you know showed me how to do it and then she's like use it when you feel stressed so you know here and there if I felt really anxious I would check on her and um she'd be fine so again so a week passes baby girl's not here um and 
we were like, okay, like, what are we going to do? So I'm like, I think I should do castor oil. So like all this time, since 39 weeks, I would have like contractions, even sometimes for 12 hours, and then it would go away. So like, you know, I mean, my body was definitely preparing, but I just was not, you know, uh, like going into like, I guess, full blown um, labor. And so we, yeah, we were, we were stressed out, but yeah, I was very firm about it. And then at 41 weeks, they checked me again and she was kind of, you know, she had that same attitude, like you need to be induced, um, blah, blah, blah. And, and I told her I'm not going to do it. And she said they, I guess they did an ultrasound that time. And then the ultrasound tech told me your baby's measuring 39 weeks. So she said, what's your due date? And I told her, well, they, I am 41 weeks according to their calculation. And then she said, when did they change your due date? And I said, at the 20-week ultrasound, she said, that is absolutely wrong because we don't calculate due dates at the 20-week ultrasound because we can't really tell. It has to be done much early on. So she said, that is wrong. And then she went and talked to the doctor. And I think I would have to say she got scolded or talked to by her superiors and I remember like it was a black woman actually and she came in and I, I obviously I could tell that she was upset by whatever conversation she had but she I felt like she was told to tell me that like this is it and she's just like yeah you know they said it's right and she like didn't discuss much further and I was like okay like I'm gonna go home and wait it till wait it out till the 42 weeks and then I'll you know consider being induced so she said I had to schedule the induction and I did and I went home and I remember like being so stressed out and my doula came, we did so many different ex Oh, so we did the castor oil at four, 40, yeah, 41 weeks. I did the castor oil, obviously it gave me diarrhea, <laughs> nothing happened. Um, like I had contractions and stuff, but then they went away right away. Like right after a couple of hours, they just kind of fizzled out and nothing really happened. So I was like, okay, this girl's not ready. Um, and so like, I was praying, meditating, I did acupuncture, I saw a chiropractor, like, whatever. And I even had um, a membrane sweep, because she had told me that, you know, I was like, like, close to a centimeter dilated. So I did all of that. Nothing, I mean, nothing was really happening. Um, And I remember like praying and crying. um, And my doula had given me this exercise to do where she said, you know, like, be in a dark room, have a candle and just like talk to your baby and plead with her or him like to come up, you know, like tell them like, you know, you're ready for them to come and all that stuff. And then all in this time, mind you, like every family member is like texting me, calling me, is baby here yet? Is baby here? And like that was stressing me out. And some even very well-meaning people were like, we're praying for you. We're pretty sure, we're pretty sure there's nothing wrong with y'all. Like, I know there's nothing wrong with me. Like, but you know, it was just like a very, very stressful to the point where I had to say, okay, like, I need you to stop calling me, stop texting me. Like, I know you guys definitely are excited to know when baby's here, but baby's not here. And I'm like, that's causing me so much stress. So I was like, I can't talk to anyone. And I think there was a day where I like turned off my phone and gave it to my husband. And I was like, okay, like anyone calls, like, you know, I just don't want to talk to anyone and tell them like, yeah. But anyways, I, I remember like, so I, I just cried and pleaded with my baby and said, I was like, I need you to come because I'm like really, you know, trying to avoid 
you know, giving you these all of these unnecessary medications. So please like come. And so this is a day before. So the day before, like right after I finished that and I'm done because my husband and my mom had gone out, I think, to get groceries or something. And I, I get a phone call from the midwife. And she's like, oh, is this you? And I was like, yes. And she's like, this is Jenny. And I was like, yeah. So she's like, I know, you know, you're stressed out. And I know, like, you know, you know, you you just, how do you feel? She's like, how do you feel? Just tell me how you feel. And I, like, remember, like, I burst out crying. I'm like, I don't want to get induced because I just don't think my baby's ready and, you know, whatnot. And then she's like, you know, I've been like reviewing your chart with like another doctor and I think we may have had your due date wrong. It's like, are you kidding me? <laughs> I was like, I was so upset, but then I was like, and she's like, so we'll give it another week and, you know, we'll schedule an induction. So that would be like, put it back to your original due date and then we'll schedule the induction then. So I was like, I mean, I felt, you know, some sense of relief and I was so happy. Um, Yeah, so I was like, okay, like, I hope you show up in a week now. Because, <laughs> you know, baby didn't want to come out. And sorry, like kind of going back and reflecting on it now, I think I was under so much stress. Probably my body was like, yeah, we're not bringing out this baby because, yeah, the, there's so much stress and anxiety we're not bringing out this baby because so what had happened was our paperwork was being fixed but then because my had my husband had given that two-week notice his employers were I guess very gracious they gave him this like certain amount of time to find a job but because it was during Christmas and people really don't want to hire uh, people with that kind of status especially in the previous administration like it was very very difficult so my husband was like looking for a job and he had this deadline on, I think by the end of, um, I would say like January, no, it was by the end of December, but then they extended it to January. So we were like in this time where we're like, does he have a job? Like, do we have a job? You know, like it was just very, and I, I've told you that my status does not allow me to work. So we were just in a very stressful situation. So anyways, baby girl did not come all the way until um, Saturday. Sa- yeah. So like, this was another, like another Monday was and was when the induction was scheduled. The sat on Saturday is when I kind of um started having like contractions um so I don't know like so that's kind of I guess the pregnancy all the way to like where I went into labor that's kind of that was the experience that is a lot to carry and you know we talk about as a society specifically you know like when we talk when we're trying to give advice and feedback to individuals that are birthing we're like don't be stressed out don't be stressed out (laughs) this we we know how much the stress affects the body and here you are like swimming in it Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. trying to be present for your baby and then there's this rush um i mean i love how you said you know in ethiopia it's like people will just say um, their birthing month, like I'm due this month. Mm-hmm. 
I I tell all of my families I work with, do not tell anyone your due date. <laughs> you can tell them what month, but to give yourself peace, do not tell them a day. One, estimated due days are a get. They are a estimate. They are a guess. They are not perfect in any way, especially when you got people messing up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and not checking. It definitely throws everything off. And then it's this rush, right, to get baby out by that time. We know that the body can go longer than that. Mm-hmm. And I mean, we have the science, we have the technology to ensure that baby is healthy, to support mm-hmm. people whose pregnancy may go past that due date. But there is, there's just this rush of like, we have to get baby out without actually checking in with the birthing person, the body, and the baby to be like, does this make sense? And babies knows, baby knows. Babies yeah. always want to stay in your heart center. Baby girl was like, uh, I don't know what's going on out there, but I don't need to be a part of that. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. She was like, yeah, I don't want anything to do with what y'all are doing out there. So I'm going to stay where it's safe. Yeah. Right? Um, and you know, I just like, for me, I'm, I'm just like, why wasn't that check done earlier? I mean, if, I, I mean, I know yeah, people not wanting to admit that there's fault, which is there, there are going to be mistakes, but mm-hmm. let's, um, be accountable to that. So then that we're not increasing stress on someone. Mm-hmm. And so for that phone call to come talking about, I know you're stressed out. Yeah, I'm stressed out because you're stressing me out. <laughs> and for no legitimate reason. No reason. Yeah. No reason. Um, But a trick to those, you know, you talked about turning your phone off. Um, I always, you know, I try to give recommendations like close. If you have shared your due date close, like a week into that, a couple of days close to that, turn your phone off. Just yeah. put it on. Do not disturb. Mm-hmm. Cause you're going to have people who forget how babies rule the world and are going to be like, is your baby here yet? <laughs> is your baby here yet? Is baby here yet? And some of them are very well-meaning, but it is yeah. an yeah. added pressure of rushing the process and then you're not able to actually be in the process if that makes sense yeah yeah Um, so that that's a lot to that was a lot to carry Mm -hmm. um especially as you're trying to prep and like get your 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 mind and body in the space to actually bring your baby here Mm -hmm. um and still, and, you know, um, I'm just thinking about like we, I forget what I was reading recently, but, um, you know, talking about uh, maternal mental health and how there are a lot of precursors that are kind of ignored during the pregnancy that can increase chances of someone experiencing um, some type of um you know, postpartum depression or postpartum anxiety mm-hmm. um, and thinking about, you know, some of the pre the precursors that come up in my mind, um, stress, um, uncertainty, right about what your family's status uh, was yeah. going to be like, um, mm-hmm. 
also for you um, having to make a decision about your own personal status, right? Like either I go or I stay yeah. here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I mean, yeah, it, it was a lot. It was a lot and it's it's a lot. But um, I mean, we've learned a lot of lessons. So we always say like, we we cherish the lessons I just because for me I always say because sometimes people kind of you know have this feeling like oh like I, you know I I had to like be in the U.S. like that was the only place I it wasn't I think if I wasn't pregnant I would like have a like if we had to leave I'll leave like um it wasn't like this you know like I have to be here no matter what um it was just kind of like pregnancy such a vulnerable time and birth is a vulnerable time postpartum is a vulnerable time so those times you want to be where you're comfortable like you don't want to be going through like some major major changes because it's already major change that you're going through like your body's going through so that was kind of like what I always tell people like it wasn't really the idea of leaving it's just the timing is what's you know what was very challenging creating a safe space for your you and your baby's journey that's yep. it. Yep. That's it. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. I want us to feel safe. Yeah, that was and it. Making yeah. a transition like that doesn't make us doesn't make me think that doesn't feel good. Yep. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and big transitions transitions in in general, right mm-hmm. during that time. Yeah. Um, so walk us through the birth. So like I said, so my labor started, um, so I, I gave birth to my daughter January 21st. So that was like the scheduled induction date. And January 19th is when I started having um, regular contractions. And I was also spotting. So like my doula was like, that's good. That means you're like actually dilating. So kind of like started, my contractions kind of started around, I would say like, 2 p.m. or whatever in the afternoon and I was like you know I was like in labor all night and then I was telling my husband I was like should we go to the hospital because like my contractions were like very manageable but it was kind of like me like not wanting to meet that induction date and like have to be induced you know because so like all the way through like Sunday morning like I was having that contraction and then we're like my doula was like, are you sure you want to go? <laughs> um, because, you know, it's your first baby. I mean, she wasn't like, don't go. But she also kind of was like, you know, like, it's still early on. So are you sure you want to go? So for me, at that time, my idea was like, okay, I'll go to the hospital. Like, I'll beat that time. Um, you know, I'll be there. And then like, yeah, I'll, I'll have to just go, you know, continue laboring. And then the baby will be there. So I was like, okay, we'll go. So we got up um, and we went to the hospital and then, um, you know, we went to triage, whatever. They checked me and they said I was three centimeters dilated, but then my contractions completely stopped because obviously the bright lights, like, you know, all, like all the things they were doing, like it just stopped. And then they were like, well, you know, the OB uncle wants you to like walk and see like if they'll, you know, if your contractions will come back. And I was like, no, I'm not going to do that because I was so tired already. I hadn't slept um, all night. Like they weren't very strong, but they were also like not, um, you know, like what is it? They they were not too light to the point where I could sleep. Um, 
So I was like, no, I think I'm going to go home, sleep and rest and then um, see what happens from there. So that's kind of what we did. We went home. I slept, you know, got up after a couple of hours, no contractions. I was still spotting. I mean, but like nothing really um, was happening. And um, I would still have like, you know, contractions very sporadically, like maybe one an hour and like here and there, whatever, but like nothing um, consistent. And I was getting very disappointed because I was like, oh my gosh, like tomorrow morning, they've scheduled that induction. I'm going to have to like go to that. I don't want to do that. Um, and that was like what was running through my mind. And, you know, my husband, um, like I couldn't really sleep like that night because I was really like, I'm like, hey, baby, can you just like do this on your own? Like so that, you know, we don't have to do that. Um, and I've also known, you know, I've also read like that Pitocin contractions are much stronger and um, I didn't want an epidural. So I was like, man, all right. I was like, OK, so morning came you know like no contractions so we had to go to this um you know scheduled induction and I remember I was like very sad you know going there because I knew like my dream of like having a natural birth was like being very compromised to top it off the gift that gives on giving my doula texts me and says someone my other client went into labor (laughs) So, yeah, I won't be making it to that induction, but I will send a backup doula. So that was like, I mean, that was a punch for me. I was like, oh, my gosh, like, are you kidding me? I'm like, because I've built this relationship with my doula, like, and, you know, she's at least one person that, like has gotten to know me that could help me feel comfortable and she's not there and then another thing that we had discussed was my mom like is very gets very stressed out so I was like she could be at the hospital but I didn't want her in the room because I knew she would like get very stressed out and then I would get stressed out and also like our you know approaches and philosophies to life are very different so but then there was not really any time. Like, we really didn't have, um, like, family to come pick her up or, you know, like, entertain her or whatever. So she just kind of ended up being in the room. So the midwife had told me the person she scheduled me with is a really great, like, a seasoned midwife, she called her. She retired and came back because she loves the job so much um, and blah, blah, blah. So I was like, okay, great. So, yeah, we got there. Like, they did triage again, and they were like, yeah, I'm still three centimeters dilated. Um, and then, um, so they were like, because she was going to do the Foley if I wasn't, you know, um, I guess up to, like, three or whatever centimeters. So they are like, we're going to go straight to Pitocin. So I get set up in my room, and, you know, I was like, I, like, tried to calm myself. You know, I took... Um, I took my own like clothes and like we had music and aromatherapy and you know all the good stuff like to just make sure that I feel as comfortable as possible even though it wasn't the most ideal situation and in that moment my husband was on the phone accepting a job offer which 
like was was just very I mean it was nice that we got a job but it was also like I need you to focus on me you know and um but he had to be on the phone and um so the first nurse that I got I don't forget her she was very very rude she was a very young like skinny white woman I remember um so from like the moment they gave me the smallest dose of pitocin because my body was already like in labor I was laboring like I was at the end I was in excruciating pain but I was like okay I'm gonna breathe through it you know I did that for for a while um and then I think about so this was 9 a.m was when I like got the pitocin um and three hours later the midwife comes um, and initially when we came, she was super nice to us. And I told her kind of my wishes for my birth, what I wanted to do. And um, she was like, yeah, that's all doable, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, we'll respect all your wishes. And was all, you know, was all great. So three hours later, she comes in and she's like, should I check you? And I said, no, because I don't want to be told that I'm still three centimeters and get disappointed. So I don't want to be checked. And she was like, no, you know, like maybe you've gone farther. Who knows? Because, you know, we had to stop the pitocin like at the smallest dose. So like your contractions are exactly where we want them. Let me check you. And I was like very hesitant, but I was like, and then, you know, my mom and my husband, they were like, oh, should, you know, should you get checked? Whatever. So I was like, okay, fine. Okay. Check me. And I was right. She checks me and says, you're still you're at, at, at a 3.5 centimeter. And I was like, and, and and the pain that I was feeling was a lot from the Pitocin because I had already been, you know, in the, of course it was early labor, but I had seen how like the natural contractions progressed and they were manageable for me. Um, and if they progressed that way, I could have totally <laughs> managed them, but that was like a whole different, you know, ball game. So I remember bawling my eyes out because I was like, are you kidding me? Like, I've already labored for three, four hours and I'm only at like 3.5 centimeters. And then she comes and tells me, yeah, you're probably not going to have a baby till Tuesday night, which is this is Monday. And I was like, I remember like, yeah, I so that like completely threw me off. So my entire like the calmness that I had put myself despite the like unfortunate situation everything just went out the window and I was like obviously in a lot more pain because I was like very stressed out and I was like my gosh like I have over 24 hours before this baby comes and I cannot take this pain like I'm like I'm I can't so at this time I mean obviously my husband and my mom kind of like realized you know my demeanor how disturbed I was so they were like, let's, he was like, I think it's time to call the backup doula. So he calls the backup doula and I don't remember exactly the timing. I think she showed up about two hours later and obviously, thank God she was a black woman and like a really, really amazing black woman. And, um, she came in and, and then before that, my sister-in-law came in and she was like, what is going on? Like, cause it was like a mess. Cause at, at that point I was like screaming I was just, yeah, I was like, I can't do this. Like, I can't do this. Like, this is too much, you know? And, you know, like, everybody was like, oh, and then the nurse <laughs> that was sort she was like, Hiwate, you shouldn't be screaming, you know, because you're going to finish all your energy, you know, by the time the baby's supposed to come. I'm like, 
just leave me alone. Like she legit told me I'm not going to have a baby till tomorrow night and I'm in so much pain. Um, and during this, like, I guess, chaotic time for me, um, the midwife goes to my mom and tells her, tell her to get an epidural. And my mom was like, no, she's not going to get an epidural because she said she doesn't want to get an epidural, you know? And my mom is like, because she's had all natural births and very skeptical of Western medicine, she's like, no. And she was also present when my uncle's wife had like that emergency C-section. So she was like, there's no way my daughter is going to experience that. So she said, no, she's not going to get that epidural. So my everybody comes and tells me, you need to breathe, you need to breathe. And I'm like, I can't breathe, like, leave me alone. You know, the only thing I can do is scream. Um, And then the hardest part for me was like, on top of the contractions, you know how they put the baby monitors on you when you're on Pitocin? I hated that because my contractions were very much in the front. And every time like I was contracting, like, that thing is also holding me like tight and I couldn't relax. So I remember there were times where I like would rip it off and throw it and then they would, you know, run, come back and put it. Um, And it was chaotic. And then when the doula came, she was like, you know, she was doing a lot of things. She's like, okay, let's go to the bathroom. Like, let's do this. Let's use the, you know, whatever, the peanut pillow. Let's, let's do this. Let's do that. And um you know she was kind of she was kind of like a mom I would say like I mean then you know she was like feeding me because I was so dehydrated um just doing whatever possible to get me through that time and so I labored for 12 hours without an epidural and then I when I got to transition she said let me check you so the doula was like okay let her let her check you so this lady so cruel that she was actually telling me like less than what I was dilated but my doula was in the back saying yeah she was like you're probably about a seven my doula was like no you're a nine like I can see her hand like you know and she was like really trying to encourage me so anyways but I was like I I still didn't know like how long it was gonna take me so I said can I go into the like the bathtub so they said absolutely not they're not going to go in the bathtub. So by this time, the eight-hour shift for the other nurse had changed, and an amazing nurse came in, and she was very, very, very sweet. Um, and my doula was like, so my my original doula was texting the backup doula, and she told her, nope, they can do that. They have monitors that go into the water, so you have to request that. And she said, tell them. So that was fine. And then the nurse was so sweet. Um, she was like holding, you know, I went into the bathtub, obviously it wasn't really giving me much relief, but it was better, I would say, than like being, um, I guess, doing anything else. And I was in the water. And I remember, obviously, I was like, I was in transition. So I was in a lot of pain, I was in so much pain. Um, and I was screaming. So the midwife would come into the room to the bathroom, will be like, shish, shish, and then like close her ears and walk away because I was screaming and then like this entire time so when I talked to my mom she said yeah the whole time she was telling us like to to tell you to get an epidural so eventually because I was feeling very defeated she told my mom there's a drug it's not an epidural it doesn't last that long it only lasts an hour doesn't take the pain away but it numbs you so I was like okay I'll take it at this point, I'm like, I'll take it. So I took, I took this 
drug now that I like look back and learn that's fentanyl I was definitely not walked through their risks or anything like that and I like felt like I was high on something because I could definitely you know feel like the contractions but I was very like completely out of it like and it only lasts I think 45 minutes actually because they had like they administer it every hour but it takes 15 minutes to um to kick in or something like that so I did that and I asked for a second dose they gave it to me and then so for me I guess I just wanted to be numb from everything and when I asked for the third dose the nurse herself came to me and she's like you don't want to do that because your baby could be born very drowsy it's like what like why didn't you guys tell me this from the get-go you know um and I was like I was very upset but I was like okay whatever and then um I was back at it like I mean I was going through this but I still felt like there was I mean you know in my mind I was still thinking like it's not Tuesday (laughs) like she told me I'm not gonna have this baby till Tuesday night um so I was like I think I need the epidural and I had made my husband promise not to give me the epidural not because of you know feeling defeat or anything because I had low platelets my risk of bleeding from the epidural were higher so I told him no matter what I say refuse to give me that epidural so at that point I was like I remember saying they're like I would throw some words I remember like telling because my sister-in-law was there my mom was there I was telling them you guys are unnatural for giving like birth to like three babies like (laughs) I even told my mom like why did you give birth to me like this is not a joke like I remember like I was saying all these like horrible things because I was just you know um, not only in pain I think I was in agony because there was so much that I had to mourn like my experience and everything and the mistreatment that we were receiving and that angel nurse like I remember like in the water what I forgot was she was telling me hey don't worry like this is how I gave birth to my last baby you know we got in the water and then whatever so she was doing this so within a couple of hours like the midwife was so upset that she was really obviously doing her job meaning she was like treating me and doing what I needed instead of what the midwife wanted her to do so they changed her out of my room. They transferred her somewhere else before her shift ended and brought another person that was not very nice. So at this point, I told you for 12 hours, I labored. So I was like, okay, I think I want that epidural. And my husband was like, no, you can do it. We talked about this. I said no. And I ended up having to beg him because I said like, I didn't, you know, I told him no matter what, like it's a risk. So we don't want it. I said I was like, honey, if I'm going to push this baby out, I was like, there's no way I can do it. Like, I need a break because I can't do it. So we agreed and um, the, the anesthesiologist shows up and they're like, yeah, we're not going to give her an epidural because she's very unstable and screaming and she has to like calm down so much for us um, to administer that and um I was like okay I'll I'll try to calm down so the doula was like okay well I'll kick everyone out and you can hold on to your husband and then you'll do this and they'll start like in between contractions so I was like okay um and I was like okay like I'll try my best because these contractions are no joke um I'll try and I remember holding to my husband 
and like while they were like putting that epidural in a contraction came in and I pulled his ears so hard he told me later on I thought you were gonna pull my ears off it was so painful <laughs> but um so they put it in um and then he's like yeah within like whatever a couple of minutes you don't you won't feel whatever below your waist down whatever whatever and I was like okay good couple of minutes go by I'm still in so much pain and I was like yeah like I'm not I'm not feeling you know I'm not feeling numb at all the only so and then I told him because he said that first part that's supposed to be numb is something where like he said something where I don't know what some side oh a side that I was not I was laying on or not laying on I I forgot whichever supposed to be mine was the opposite was numb my leg but the contractions I was feeling everything I remember my sister-in-law saying like honey you know you should be feeling like you're on vacation I was like yeah like I'm feeling everything I'm not feeling like anything different um and they like were not believing me so the epidural wasn't working for me and they noticed that I was bleeding in the back where the epidural was administered and the nurse everybody they're like no it's normal and like you know my doula my sister-in-law they're like this is not normal like she's bleeding and they're like nope it's fine it's normal and I mean didn't seem like it was a lot (laughs) Thank God, but I don't know what the consequences would have been had it been like a lot because they are very dismissive. So the epidural did not work. And then um, within a couple of minutes, it kind of started working. But I also, and but she was like, let me check you. So she checks me and says, you are complete. She said, do you want to wait for the, for your labor to push the baby down or you want to push? I was like, I want to be done. I'm going to push this baby out right now. So I wanted the epidural to be off because I wanted to have more sensation to push this baby. So I was pushing and I pushed for an hour and the baby, so her head came out and it wasn't like, there was nothing wrong, nothing like alarming. Obviously, like, cause my husband told me, like, I asked him what happened. He was like, you know, she like kept, you know, her head kept coming, coming out. I was like, yeah, that's like, the contractions pushing her down it's not like she's gonna like come because she was probably not at that point but right when her head came out the midwife decides to pull this baby out dislocating my tailbone and really straining the baby's neck so we didn't know this until later but that's what happened the baby came out I wanted delayed cord clamping and they said something to the extent where her cord is too short, so we have to cut it immediately. Like she's too it's too short for you to for her to be anywhere on you. And you know, at that point I was like, I was so like out of it. I was just so happy, like the baby came out and she cried, and then they cut her cord and she crawled up to my chest and found the breast herself. Um, and I remember my sister-in-law like screaming like, oh my gosh, it's a girl, it's a girl. Because I didn't know the gender, like all of them had been telling me it's a boy. And I had a, like this like 
feeling and instinct that it was a girl. And I talked to her like a girl the entire time. And I was like, I knew, I knew you, like, I knew that you were a girl, you know? So anyways, like, you know, that ended. And my, my actual doula made it after. Um, and, you know, like, so yeah, the baby lost right away and all that stuff. That was fine. But I was in a lot of pain. So I was like, you know, I'm in a lot of pain. And they were like, so a part of me was like, am I just weak? Because I've never experienced childbirth or like, cause getting up, like it just hurts so much. Um, And like they transferred us to the, whatever, to the other, what, the recovery room and all that stuff. Um, And they, they're like, you know, it's normal, like, it's probably because, you know, it's your first time or whatever, and then, like, later on, they came and offered, do you want to, do you want us to give you oxy or whatever, and then I was like, no, like, because I was like, I'm, I already didn't want a medicated birth, and I've given my child way too much medication that I didn't even want to give, and I don't want to, like, I don't want any oxy, I was like, I'll tough it out, so, a black midwife the next day who was on call comes and asks me how I'm feeling. And I told her I'm feeling a lot of pain um, because like when I get up, when I sit, it hurts so much. She's like, you probably have a broken or dislocated tailbone because she's like, that's not normal. And she told me like she knew of someone and she said for somebody like it healed by itself, but it takes quite a long time to heal. Obviously, that was not great news. I was like, okay, and then, I mean, the mistreatment there continued, like, it it just didn't end, Um, the pediatrician was treating us like, just like the looks they were giving us, like, why are you even bringing a child, like, pretty much you don't deserve to, or you're not equipped to bring a child into this world, because we had declined a few um, newborn procedures, and just the language they were using with us and how they were threatening us like was very, very horrible. And I remember when we got discharged and went home because everybody before had told us, oh my gosh, you guys are going to go to the hospital, have this baby. And then when they hand you the baby to go home, you're going to feel sad because you're not going to know what to do. My husband and I felt the exact opposite because we're like, we're so glad we're out of that place. Like, because it was like, a very difficult and horrible experience that really robbed us of, you know, a, a, a day that that should have been so joyous because I was, yeah, and I remember like the doula telling me, yeah, you didn't look like you were just in pain. She, she said you were in agony and I told her I was, I was, I wasn't just in pain. Like I had already had a very difficult, you know, emotionally like pregnancy. And then, you know, I, at least I felt like, was gonna be a better birth because I had prepared myself so much you know I had all the support that I could but yeah didn't you know didn't go the the way that I wanted it um so that was kind of the birth um you know that's how my birth went I know that's super long but that's that's all no um thank you for sharing um all of that. I just, I don't have a lot, but gratitude. (laughs) 
at this moment. Gratitude for you um, sharing that with us. Birth is so sacred. Birth is so sacred. And it should be treated with the respect that it deserves. Mm-hmm. You should have been treated with the respect that you deserved. And your daughter should have been treated with the respect that she deserved. Mm-hmm. There are so many points of your birth where I'm like enraged. That's all that I have, right? <laughs> just, I, I just, you're, you're, if any, I mean, for me, I'm like, there's no need to explain. If anyone missed any points of where this went left, you're part of the problem. Yeah. All we have to do is listen. Mm-hmm. That's it. We can do our, you know, as care providers, you can do your job. As birth um, workers, we can do our job. And still be fully supportive and listen, right? You had asked for certain things. And whether they fell in line with the protocol, you had wishes. So the, the response is, how can I support you in those wishes and still also make sure that you are safe? Mm -hmm. But you're going to tell me everything I need to know. Yep. I just yeah I'm I'm really thankful and just have so much gratitude for you sharing that um, how was postpartum how was once you got home it was hard <laughs> it was it was it was really hard because um so I had breastfeeding so I was in a lot of pain like I told you so I couldn't sit and breastfeed my daughter so I had to be laying down all the time because I was in excruciating um, amount of pain sitting on the toilet getting up from the toilet like that tailbone I mean I was in so much pain and then my daughter what we realized her neck um because we would like try to put her neck on one side and there was a side where immediately as soon as we put her she would like turn because I think she was in pain from like that pulling and like some she had some straining um so she couldn't actually like for a very long time she couldn't turn her neck to like one side of whatever side she pulled her on and she was jaundiced so like we stayed about 36 hours because she was born like five minutes before midnight so it was like by the time it was 24 hours they're like well it was too late so we won't let you go but they're also um yeah two things I forgot they were doing they were poking her like crazy because they're like she was born at 42 weeks sorry so she can't regulate her blood sugar so they were poking her like I would say six seven times a day she still has marks from that and I remember my doula who you know I told you was like learning to be a midwife she said she was only seven pounds she said we usually do that when when babies are like like, you know, they're post due date, and then they're also like much larger. She said, I don't know why they were doing that. So they were doing that. Um, And then she was like, obviously, also getting her blood drawn for, for the jaundice wasn't very bad. And she didn't need any light therapy or anything. So but then they said, they'll send us home, and then they'll send a nurse to come and poke her again to get that result to make sure like it's, um, you know, like it's, subsiding 
So they were, you know how they tell you, oh, you got to feed the baby two to three hours, whatever. My daughter was sleep. I mean, she was sleeping a lot. And like, sometimes I would wake her up and feed her. But there were times she was like, dead asleep. She didn't want to be woken up. And I was like, and and my culture, like my mom has breastfed all of us like more than a year. She breastfed my younger sister actually up to four years. Um, and she's like, they never time it it's like supply and demand so when baby wants to be fed they'll be fed um so this nurse comes in to you know to get the blood test she comes and weighs her and obviously like all babies do she had lost a couple of you know ounces and then starts freaking out saying like the baby's losing weight she needs to get formula blah 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 and so she was so for me the hardest part was she wasn't like the baby wasn't complaining that like she wasn't like crying that she wasn't getting enough or anything um she was peeing but she didn't poop and I remember my doula saying okay like you know it's getting to like this abnormal kind of space where I can give you support because she's not I guess producing enough diapers or whatever um so she said, do you want me to start looking for donor milk or whatever? And it was just, yeah, that was very stressful. And then again, like, cause we had a one bedroom, like the nurse, the way she was treating us. Uh, I mean, it was, yeah, it was kind of like the same as the hospital. Like, yeah, why did you guys bring a baby into this place kind of? And obviously we're black too. So I remember like the most heartbreaking thing my husband said was when she left, he was like, if we were, if we had a big house, she wouldn't treat us like this. I remember. I remember, like, that broke my heart so much because I was like, oh my gosh, like, we have everything we need for our baby, which is us. But we're being mistreated for, you know, for the color of our skin and for, you know, where we're at in life. And it was just very, very heartbreaking. And I remember, and so for me the struggle with the breastfeeding was I had like large breasts and like they would come all the way on her face and I really didn't know how to give it to her and one of my sister-in-laws was like she actually like showed me on video hey this is how you do it you hold the breast like this and you feed her and she'll be fine so at that point I was like I'm gonna follow my instincts I'm not gonna give my baby formula I'm gonna keep waking her up and feeding her and my mom, obviously, she was very supportive. <laughs> we would wake her up. And sometimes it was funny because the baby would not wake up no matter what. And we had to put cold water on her face to, like, get her to wake up so that I could feed her. And I did that for three to four days. And, you know, she did really, really well. By the time we went to her one-week appointment, she had gained, like, she had surpassed her birth weight all of that, you know, that was fine. So I was still in a lot of pain from the thing and I couldn't breastfeed prop like sitting down. I had to always be lying down. Um and then, you know, the the backup doula was like, How are you doing? Whatever. And I told her I'm still in pain. She said, How about you go see a chiropractor? So I was like, okay. Um I went and I saw a chiropractor and she did a lot of tests and she took an x-ray she couldn't really tell she said it wasn't broken my tailbone but it was definitely like not supposed like it's not where it's supposed to be but she said because there's a lot of gas 
She said, I, I don't know what to call it. Like, so she, she did that. And then kind of throughout that process, my husband, like, did not like the new job that he was at because it was very, it was far away from where we lived. Um, and it was very just stressful, like, just... Um, we had to cover our own insurance and it was just like a lot of other things we had to worry about. And jokingly, one day he comes home and says, what do you think of Utah? And I was like, there's no way we're moving to Utah because it's like, I don't know a single soul. And in Minnesota, at least we had family, like, you know, I had friends. I felt like I had a community. Um, and I was like, I mean... It's not my ideal place, even Minnesota, but I was like, at least it's something that we're used to. And being postpartum and dealing with all this stuff, I just said, yeah, we're not moving to Utah. So he took this interview because he was like, definitely sure he wasn't going to get this job or we weren't going to take it. Um, And at that time, I had applied for the PhD program um, and had interviewed and was waiting to hear back from them. So um, it was kind of this... We were in this very, you know, um, well, like if that works out, things might start looking up for us or whatever. And then he interviews for the job and they decide to fly him out to Utah and offer him the job on the spot. And it was like an offer we could not decline. So he comes back and says, they gave me the offer. So this is me. I was one month postpartum at this point. Um so what do we do? And it was a very, very, very difficult decision because I was like, what do I choose? Like, what what do I do? Like, you know, with, I want the baby to be comfortable. I want her to be in a, you know, in a, like, in a more comfortable situation financially because it had a really good insurance package um, and all that stuff. Um, but I also was like, what about me? Because I have this PhD program. I mean, I wasn't sure if I was going to go or not. Um, but I'm like, I, you know, felt like I had some option. And then I felt like I had this community. So it was really tough. I remember crying and crying for two days because I just couldn't make a decision. Um, but also I was just stuck in this place where I was like, I also don't want to feel guilty if I like say we stay and then things don't work out, you know, the way they're supposed to. They're like, I don't want to carry this guilt that what if I had made that decision? So I was like, but I was like, I think I can live with like me not, you know, being satisfied. And Utah, I mean, it was it was a tough decision. And my mom, she had to she had to leave because she works and she had taken a lot of time, um, you know, from work. But I remember like begging her at that point. I was like, I need you to find a way to stay longer for me because with this tailbone and with everything that's been going on, and now like at that point, I had finally decided that we should probably move. I said, I need you, like, I need you to stay for me, so she was, I mean, she was amazing, she just, like, she found a way, because she was also having some back problems, and the chiropractor was able to write, like, a note for her that she needed to rest, so she was able to stay longer, so one month postpartum, one, one and a half month postpartum, 
with a dislocated tailbone. My husband had to move a week early before us. I had to figure out all the things of moving all our stuff, our car and everything, um, and move to Utah where we didn't know a single soul. So that was, I mean, that was hard. Like that was one of the most difficult things I ever had to do. And the baby, I think she noticed like the environmental change. So she was having a very hard time with her dad not being there that whole week. Um, You know, like obviously we moved our furniture, like all our stuff, like not being in place. Um, She was having a very hard time and we had to stay at my aunt's place for like two days because the apartment was completely empty. She was just having a very difficult time, which obviously was giving me a very hard time. Um, And then we finally moved here. um, And I mean, it was really, really hard. A lot happened after that. But I, so my mom left. um, And then luckily, like my parents really, really helped me out throughout this time. And then once my mom left, my dad came and stayed for a month and cooked for me. And Um, You know, I continued, both of us continued with, like, the chiropractor in Minnesota transferred us to, like, someone she worked with here in Utah. So all that stuff, I mean, it was working out. But about, so, like, right after my dad left, I was very happy. Like, I had all these people, and now it was just, like, time for me to just bond with my baby. I was very excited. Um, Something different for me was I was losing a lot of weight. Obviously, I think stress had to do had to do with a part of it and obviously I was breastfeeding um but I was like losing more weight than like even my sorry pre-pregnancy weight like I lost a ton of weight and it's so sad how like you know our society is designed because we focus so much on weight loss for moms everybody was telling me you know it's so much better for you than like gaining weight and I'm like you don't know what if I have a problem you know um and I also developed postpartum anxiety so I've dealt with depression in the past but I had never experienced anxiety in my life and it was very debilitating and it kind of got triggered because there was a girl who got um who like one time we were at the park and they handed us this like missing flyer and then like a couple of days later she was found murdered and the person who murdered her was of African descent. And I think for me, that was very triggering because that was the kind of community I was looking for. So when I saw that, like, I was so triggered. I remember there were days where obviously because I was breastfeeding my baby, she didn't need anything else. But the whole day I would lock my daughter and I in the bedroom because I was so scared someone would come for us. And yeah, just I've never felt that much anxiety. But like I told you, I was also losing a lot of weight. So I had to go get checked and I found out that I had um, thyroid issue. So, you know, my thyroid was off from like pregnancy. So it was just kind of like, it was just a lot. But I think once I figured out, but breastfeeding, like as hard as it was in the beginning, mostly because of, I guess, um, you know, the hospital stuff and all these people coming into, uh, to disrupt our peace but um it was really healing for me because I think that connection with my baby just continuing to breastfeed her really helped my mental health as much as um 
because I didn't really have a community here or people to go to. And I mean, and, and I've tried, you know, to connect with people and do that, but it's just, it was, it was, it was hard to do because I just didn't know where to go, what to do, because it was a new place. Um, But it was hard. But I think also my, my parents helping me, like, that's, I mean, I, I just cannot thank them enough, because especially, like, my mom, I mean, she was there through all the stress. But my dad, when my dad came, I mean, he would cook for me. So I just, like, was able to fully rest, you know, just, like, kind of, what is it, compensate for that time, like, in the beginning, where I couldn't really, um rest as much as I could so I think I mean eventually like my tailbone took a very long time to heal about a year and a half which you know which really which I at one point I didn't think it was gonna heal and I was always afraid of like oh my gosh am I able to have even another child because of the the pain that I went through and obviously babies bounce back really quickly so my daughter I mean within couple of months her neck was back and she was like in really really good shape and I mean she's thriving but um yeah it was it hasn't been easy but I think um breastfeeding definitely helped me just heal and connect and especially just being able to see that you know like oh my gosh like I'm doing this I'm nourishing this baby she's happy and healthy that was very rewarding so yeah Thinking about your birth and what you described, like the early parts of your um, nursing journey with your daughter, the connection there, right? Mm -hmm. So how the birth looked, um, the uh, uh, medication support that you got, right? Um, Mm -hmm. The effects that that has on baby into the early postpartum, like we see the sleepiness, the drowsiness, um, the fact that she had... um, the issue with her neck, how that affects being able to nurse, um, mm-hmm. you recovering from all aspects of your journey during that early postpartum and how that affects your ability to be mobile, to be able to connect. But um, it's, and then, you know, like you said, for you specifically continuing on with that journey, the healing that that allowed and the bonding that it allowed for both of you. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And how having supportive people who've done it before, especially your mama, come on for years, nursing all the way to four years to support you in like, this is what it can look like. Here's how we can help you through that. Mm -hmm. Um, And them coming in to help you find rest and, and all of that. Where are you now with postpartum? You know, we say here postpartum is forever. So where are you now on that journey? No, I, I think I'm in a much, much better place. I have to say, I, I recently, I, I always saw my husband, like I mourn our breastfeeding journey because with the pregnancy, I just didn't want to nurse her um, anymore. So we just ended our um, um, breastfeeding journey just like about two or three months ago. But I mean, I'm good and I think I'm I'm in a different place. And I think for me, one of the things I really wanted to do is because after listening to like, you know, the, the podcast, I was like, oh, like, how do they find people? Like, do they just interview, you know, like all these amazing, famous people or how do they find them? And 
to see that I was able to come and share my story, I felt like that's something I have to do for my second child and for my second experience because we're yet, <laughs> um, surprisingly, in another um, immigration limbo um, challenge. But I think this time I'm approaching it um, very differently because I realized how much the stress affected my birth and everything. So I just try to take it one day at a time. Um, so, you know, but I mean, I, I do try to prioritize myself as much as possible, but uh, my daughter, her name is Mizan and it means in my language balance. She's truly my uh, source of balance because, you know, she puts me in check when, um, and just, you know, the love she offers me, so, you know, babies are just so amazing. I always say, oh my gosh, like I need to love myself more because the way she loves me is just, just too much. So um, I think that that is like the one thing that has helped me a lot. I would love to have a community, but obviously COVID has not made that, a, especially after moving to a new state. And then within um, a year, like, you know, then, you know, COVID hit. I know it, it's hard, but I think um, we're in a much better place than we were um, before to like to handle um, challenges. But uh, my sister, it's funny, she was saying, hey, you know, she said your pregnancies, you know, seem to bring these huge shifts in your life. And she said, that's maybe the way you should look at it, because she said, why didn't this challenge come when, you know, she was one years old when you guys could have taken it. But um, she said there's a reason. But um, I'm I'm OK. I mean, I'm, I'm doing fine. And um, I just for me, I just don't want people to go through what I went through, at least in terms of birth. So I've just, I just try to reach out to people and, you know, try to, to help them, you know, give them resources and stuff to make sure that at least they don't have the same experience or they have a better experience. I'm glad that you found this space. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and it's a word to everyone out there, you know, we we hope that people know when you feel led and you're ready, this is a space to share. Like mm -hmm. there's no casting call, I guess I would say. There's no <laughs> <laughs> um you know, there's no uh like we're not like, you know, weeding through the submissions. If you're ready to share, we are ready to 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 share in that space with you. Um and so is there anything else that you uh, would like to share with listeners that you want to leave them with advice, anything else from your birth? Yeah, definitely. I mean, the first one is what we said. I think, um, you know, knowing that the due date is an estimate and like really keeping it to yourself because whether baby comes early or, you know, you go as far as I did, it's just, it just kind of saves you, um, you know, additional stress that you don't want to be going through because, I think every mom like feels anxious when, you know, baby's not there, like when we think baby's going to be there, but they always have, um, you know, their own time and they'll show up when they're ready. But um, even sometimes when people are well-meaning, they can really stress you out. So I would say that. And then I really want to tell people that my story is not your story, like, because I feel like oftentimes you know, we go through these like very traumatic experiences and then we feel like that is it. Like that is 
that is it because we went through it like that must be how it is and for me I always try to tell like any friends or any mamas that I come across or mamas to be like I always say like when they ask me what was your experience I always say my experience is my experience and yours will be different because um, we hear so many horror stories and horrific stories which so many people um, even in my own pregnancy discouraged me from having natural birth because they weren't able to you know, have a natural birth. And some of it is because the more research I've done, it's because of, you know, the interventions and things like that they were introduced to that led them to like not having the type of birth that they wanted. But, you know, people kind of become discouraging. So I just want to all the listeners out there to know that um, we all have our own stories. And it doesn't seem, you know, it doesn't have to be like, especially the the hard ones, the tough ones, the traumatic ones, it doesn't have to be your story. Like, you, you can have a, a beautiful, amazing story. So that's another thing. And then I think the other thing is, you know, doing as much research as you can, especially as Black people, as Black women, like, I mean, we owe it to our children. And um definitely hire a doula because for me I I remember <laughs> telling everyone I was like I don't want a baby shower I don't want anything um all I want is a doula because and I'm I, like there's no like there's not a day where my husband and I are not grateful that we had a doula because if it wasn't for the doula um I don't know what our experience will be I think it would definitely be much much worse because um that's just how the system works right now and we just have to look out for ourselves but yeah I think those are kind of what I would um like to say every single one of those are important (laughs) (laughs) every single one of those points um especially especially the piece about you know everybody's birth story is their own when you, you know, this space is created so that we are aware of all the different types of stories. Yeah. Um, but we encourage people connect with the parts that you need to in the time that you need to. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, your story is valid, is important, needs to be heard, mm-hmm. um, honored that you're willing to share it. Um, but again, like you said, it's yours. Yeah. And so we take the pieces that connect with us that we need to connect with us. Um, But knowing that each of our experiences is led by us. Yeah. Um, So thank you. I don't even have enough thank yous. I never have enough thank yous, but (laughs) 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 just truly, truly um, honored and grateful to sit with you today. Um, Yeah. Just thank you so much. (laughs) Much. Yeah. I mean, um, I'm I'm so honored and so grateful to to share my story because I think it'll bring me so much um more healing and um you know prepare me in a better way for my second birth. So about to cry. <laughs> <laughs> um that's the part about doing this podcast that I think has just thrown me over the edge. Um, as when people are able to find healing from sharing and I hope it, it does. And I hope it, um, allows for that part 
the parts that need to be healed to be healed so that you're able for this next journey um, for it to be what it it can be. Thanks for listening to Birth Stories in Color. To hear this show and other episodes, head to birthstoriesincolor.com.